the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The life of Gideon has certainly provided for us a marvelous look at God's grace and how he deals with us. Well, this week and next, we start winding down our look at Gideon. We invite you to join us. Way of Grace, Pastor Jessica Stan, next. learned so much from the life of Gideon here in the book of Judges, and today we return to chapters 7 and 8 as we take a look at the sword of the Lord and Gideon. This is Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. Today, we turn our attention to Gideon once again and this sword of the Lord. It's a Christ-conforming commitment that we read of in Judges chapter 7 and verse 8. The command to follow and the cooperation is strategic. With more, here's Pastor Jesse and today's broadcast of Way of Grace. I hope after this series you never view Gideon the same again. Gideon is now in the midst of active war, something that we're not used to. Most of us here who are not um, baby boomers or older who have experienced something of war. Most of this is computer-generated games that we play, if you have that kind of pecan for war. The rest of us run from war as fast as we can. So whenever you read about it or learn about it, it's largely speculation. But what we're going to do with the Word of God today is begin to understand something about the, the concept, the sword of the Lord. Because that's the expression that comes out of the obedience of faith by Gideon and all of those that were with him. We read over in Judges chapter 7 these words, starting at verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch. And they won blew the trumpets. And secondly, they break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break their pitchers. And then they held the lamps in their hands and the trumpeters in their, the trumpets in their right hand to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So what we want to look at today, the war is on now. They've been doing strategy up to this point, but the war is set to battle now. And a sword has become active. That's exactly what Gideon says, the sword of the Lord. 
And what you and I want to do is work through that concept. We want to work through that idea. What do we mean by the sword of the Lord? Who wields this sword, wields it, handles it? Who applies this sword? I might tell you it's God himself. God is the one who wields the sword of justice and righteousness ultimately at all times. I want you to know that. Now, how does he will? How does he wield it? How does God apply that sword? Well, we're told in Genesis three twenty four, every which way, every which way. If you see the text, it should be up on the board. This is the first time you have the term the sword being used. But if you'll notice contextually, it's a sword in the hands of the cherubim. And the cherubim here are symbolic entities that make reference to the protection and preservation of God's glory and honor as we see them all through the Bible. They are now at the beginning of the fall of humanity serving to wedge a gap between fallen humanity and Adam and Eve and paradise where men should be applying to go. There is a sword between humanity and God and God is wielding that sword. It's important for you to know. In theology, we call this the law of what? First mention. There's more to it than that, but just know all righteous justice, all righteous judgment is from God. He is the judge of all the earth. And whether that manifests itself in the flesh in a physical way, or if it manifests itself in some bizarre judgment in an ecological or a biological way, where men and women come under the judgment of God, it is God executing the sword. The idea of the sword is the idea of capital punishment upon people, groups, justly because of the rebellion against King Jesus. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 41, as we build a framework for sensitivity to the sword. Here's what God says. I want us to consider this. He says in verse 20, uh, 41, now, if I wet my glittering sword, this is God talking anthropomorphically as the man of war, Exodus chapter 15. He says, if I wet my glittering sword, now he's talking about the characteristic of his sword. When he uses the term glittering saints, what he's saying is my sword is glorious and it flashes like lightning from the east to the west. And when I pull out my sword and I prepare it for judgment, no one can miss it. A glittering sword is not a hidden sword. A glittering sword is a sword that's visible and active, very much like the writer to the Hebrews puts it. The word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. It is active and alive. In other words, when it is being wielded, no one can deny that God is acting. That's why Gideon said, not the sword of Gideon, but the sword of the Lord. And we'll drill down into that because we must know it as well. So this is the second time that you will hear God directly referring to his sword being uh, prepared for judgment, to take hold of judgment. I will render vengeance to my enemies and I will reward them that what? This is why you and I must understand that in the practical battles that we fight, vengeance is the Lord's. 
I will repay. You and I must never operate out of a carnal type of taking vengeance. As we learned last week, Peter fell into that trap, did he not? Picking up the sword to go to war against the false high priest. Christians will often do that. Do not do that. Whosoever lives by the sword shall die by the sword. You and I fight with a different sword. And God is calling us to understand the distinction between carnal, political, earthly swords and the sword of the Lord, which operates not exclusively through God, but obviously through his people. Again, listen to Joshua chapter 5, 13, where remember what God had told Israel. If you obey me, I'll bring you into the land. I'll establish you. I'll give you your inheritance. And in fact, I will go into the land before you get there. By the time you show up, my angel who has my name in him will have made a way for you to enter into the promises of God. Now, notice what the text tells us concerning what happened to Joshua, God's second servant after Moses. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him with what? His sword drawn in his hand. Welcome to Elohim. Yeshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, the angel of the Lord, standing in the midst of the promises of God for God's people. How do we ever obtain the promises of God? By Jesus Christ going before us and making a way out of no way. How do we ever overcome our foes? By the Lord Jesus Christ fighting our battles for us and with us. Can you see how Jesus is in the land, ready to help Joshua and all 12 tribes possess the land. If you and I will ever possess the inheritance that God has given us, we must recognize Jesus as our forerunner. No forerunner, no blessing. Here we see the Lord Jesus bearing that sword. Again, we read this in Revelation chapter 19, 15. I'm taking you from Genesis 3, 24 to Revelation 19, 15. And mind you now, the same person that's in Genesis 3, 24, the cherubim, the glory of God is here now personified in Jesus in Revelation 19, 15, where the term the sword of the Lord is used for its final time. So the whole of your Bible encompasses a God who executes judgment with a sword only on that last day when Jesus comes back, he'll be the one personally executing final judgment on a world that rebels against his law, his gospel, his glory, and his people. Here it is. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp what? Rum fire sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. Now, for those of you who know your Bible, we're headed toward the end of the revelation, are we not? We are in at the end of Revelation 19 and nothing comes up between Revelation 19 and 21 of any more judgments other than the final judgment day where all men and women are consigned to either glory or the second death. This is the last time you see the sword of the Lord 
and it's in the hand of him whom God has said he is the mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. God hath appointed a day wherein he will judge this world in righteousness by that man. That's the optic you want to look at. Also now, by way of understanding more deeply the significance of that sword, where does that sword proceed from? His mouth. It will be the word of the Lord that will judge this world. Every idle word will be brought into judgment. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of the word of God will pass away. It will be the final judgment on the last day. So we have between the Genesis narrative and the revelation, the totality of this sword working through the scriptures. I could give you a hundred plus references around this, but I think I've got your attention. Here we are, the title of our message, and I want to work through our main three points, briefly point one, more particularly point two, and then point three. The title of our message is the sword of the Lord and what? Gideon. Gideon means in the Hebrew, as I told you, the hewer of wood. God took this weak man, this fearful man, and he allowed his mama to name him Gideon when he was born because God would turn him from a weakling to a man of strength. He would be the battle axe in the hand of God to cut down one of the most formidable enemies of Israel, and that would be the Midianites. There are going to be two dominant uh, foes for Israel in the book of Judges and in the uh, monarchical period, the, ro- the rule of Saul and David and other kings of Israel. There'll be two foes, and you and I want to understand them by way of mapping them from the text to our life. The first are the Midianites. And I'm going to give you the definition briefly if you're new with us. The Midianitish idolatry was Baal worship at the highest levels of sexual perversion. The Midianites represent and symbolize massive sexual perversion. That's Numbers 25. Balaam and the king of the Midianites sought to cause Israel to stumble, and they went, the way they did it were by temple prostitutes and whores. And it corresponds to the age in which we live today where profanity and and pornography is rampant, accepted, and now turned into policy across our nation. This is where you and I are. That's why we love the Word of God, because it's always relevant. It's never antiquated. It's never old. Truth is relevant all the time. You can always map God's Word onto where we are now. And so the second major enemy the people of God deals with, and you and I'll be dealing with that when we get to chapter 13, they're not massive in number like the Midianites, but they're large in size and therefore their optic, their visual is emanating and threatening, ominous and threatening. Who are they? The Philistines, Goliath and his four brothers, and they represent our fallen nature, the flesh the uncircumcised Philistine that must be cut off if we're going to ever be able to see the grace of God in our life. Does that make some sense? When we get there, we'll work that out. I've said it for many years now. 
Who can overcome? What can overcome the greatness and the power and the taunt of the uncircumcised Philistine? It has to be one with a Samson-like gospel. Without a Samson-like gospel, you will never overcome the flesh. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about right now. If you don't have someone like Samson who points to our great Lord Jesus Christ in the greatness of his power, your flesh will dominate your life. These things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. Every time you come to church, if the word of God is faithfully expounded, it, it applies to you. It never does not apply. It's written for our learning and admonition that, that, that we might have comfort and hope to whom the truth has come to the ends of the world. Under point number one, quickly, we remark a Christ-conforming commitment. And I shared this with you in chapter 7, verse 8, how that Gideon had experienced a constant whittling down of men, did he not? From 32,000 to 300. That was a constant whittling down. We're talking about the whole idea of the separation process, the weaning, the 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 um, treading out of the corn, the division. God did that for Gideon several times, did he not? And now Gideon only has 300 men with him. Gideon has to walk by a level of faith to believe that God knows what he's doing, having whittled his his army down from 32,000 to 800 to 300 men. He's got to believe God, doesn't he? Well, we already know, according to Hebrews eleven thirty two, that Gideon subdued kingdoms with just 300 men, for, uh, formally speaking. Now, why 300 men? Because they become those that are representative of the obedience of faith in the whole process of God selecting who he would use to fight this battle. Remember the conditions of that battle? God says, I cannot have 32,000 of you because the vast majority of you will steal my glory if I let you fight this war with me. So he sent most of them home because they were not qualified. And we need that. See, God can win the battle all by himself. He chooses to use you and me, but he will not use you if he knows in your heart you are looking for a pedestal for your own glory. He will not use you. The devil will, but not God. God will always act counterintuitive. He will always act paradoxically. He will always only exalt the humble. He will only take the weak things to confound the mighty. Why? Because when the outcome is as excellent and uber victorious as we're seeing here, we know that God had to be the one that did it. And that's the way the Bible teaches how God works. He always takes the weak things. The things that are unassuming. So you and I need to know the precondition for you and I to be part of any God's battle is that God has to humble us and make it very clear to you and me that in us dwells no good thing. And that if God's going to get any glory through us, it won't be because he found something good in us. Those are horrible songs. God hasn't found anything good in you unless it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he didn't have to find it because he put it there. And so what I'm getting at here is that now Gideon is in a position where he's got 300 men that God can use because God will have those men doing exactly what Gideon tells him. And if there's a New Testament application is this, follow me 
and I will make you to become fishers of men. He that will be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes unto the father, but by me. And what that means is, it's not just learning about Jesus. It's following Jesus. And to follow Jesus is to mimic Jesus. It was said concerning the rulers of the church in Acts 4 that when Peter and John began to preach and speak, uh uh-oh, we could tell that those brothers been hanging out with Jesus. Like father, like son, like master, like servant. And the real point that our text is underscoring is that God only used the men who had enough understanding and faith to merely do what they were told. I'm getting ready to teach you something. To merely do what they were told. Not to innovate, not to augment, not to do more, not to vary. Because you see, if you vary from your master, you lose his likeness. And Jesus is the revelation of the invisible God. He is the precise representation of the father who cannot be seen because Jesus does not vary from the father in his attributes, characteristics or conduct. If you have seen me, you have seen the father and it does not make them one in person, only one in nature and one in purpose. They are two distinct persons. Are you guys hearing me? And so when God is calling you to Christ, he's calling you to be conformed to his image. He's not just calling you to learn a few Bible verses and go around manipulating people. All right, so our text is laying out a very important principle of war. Remember, we talked about two things that constitutes a successful warfare. One is strategy. The other one is what? Intelligence. Strategy is what I'm talking about here. Notice what Gideon says to them over in verse 18. Now, I start at verse 17. Of chapter seven. And he said unto them, look on me. That's the first thing he said. Remember that? In other words, you don't have any other optic, no other visual, no other distraction. Your job is to look on Gideon. Now, who is Gideon pointing to? So the believer is called to look to Christ because you're only transformed into his image by looking into the perfect law of liberty. Second Corinthians 318. What am I doing? I hope you're looking to Christ. What does that mean, pastor? Deeply paying attention to who he is, what he did, why he did it, where he is now and what's going to happen when he comes back. That's what it means to look to Jesus. To look to Jesus is to look to the one of whom and for whom you hope to be transformed into his image. That's what the text teaches us, right? To be conformed to the image of Christ is to look at God through Christ and hope the spirit of God makes you like Christ by and by over time. When the battle that we're fighting, we see what is called a parallelism or a replication of Gideon, right? Gideon had a trumpet. These men have a trumpet. Gideon is called to carry a light in a picture. They're all carried to carry a torch in a picture, right? Gideon is called to blow the trumpet. They're called to blow the trumpet, are they not? They are to do exactly what Gideon did and nothing else. That's how this battle is won. Now, remember what I taught you about that? I taught you that this is the way Christ's glory increases everywhere in the world. Y'all got that? Remember what I said? The seed that's sown in the ground will abide alone until it's sown in the ground. If it's sown, it'll bear much fruit. 
And everyone in Christ is a representative of Christ and Christ's glory expands as the body expands around the world. Because God uses his people to spread his glory. Did that come home with you, child of God? Because that's the nature of the battle. By the way, the enemy does that too. He makes people over in his image as well. But as we are thinking through the warfare, what we are discovering here is that Gideon is giving them the instructions for success. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, worship times, how to get here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street. Here in Hayward, the zip code 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener-supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area, as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.